This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk for relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth. Truth is where you'll find color. Color is where you'll find God. Color is God. It's His love for you. We know light is what makes color happen, obviously. Color is a product of light. So if God is light, that means color testifies to the everlasting goodness of a good God, one who wants to fill us with color. Have you ever thought of color this way? And get this, the colors we see here on earth aren't even close to what we will see in heaven. God has not only given us a glimpse of what awaits us, but what we can experience to a degree here on earth is highlighted this way. In this way, color represents so much. We can be encouraged to live our lives to the fullest, knowing we have support from the other side cheering us on. We only need to pay attention to be empowered on our journeys. So Color Speak is all about jumping up and down with excitement in our discussions about our glimpses of the other side. Our guest today is an award-winning investigative journalist who traveled the world for more than a decade as a correspondent and producer for CNN. Her specialty is the environment, and among other industry honors, she has received the prestigious Environmental Media Award. Jennifer Skiff is passionate about animals and their welfare, too. Woohoo! So am I. Working with charities throughout the world to bring relief to abused and abandoned animals. Her first book, God Stories, is a collection of inspiring first-person accounts of miracle-like encounters with God. Red Book said, This book is a perfect way to explore and discuss your own relationship with the spiritual. Now, before we get to the catalyst for that first book, let me first welcome Jennifer Skiff to the show. Jennifer, welcome to Color Speak. Janet, thank you so much. I, ha- I have to start by saying your intro to Color Speak was the best, most enlightening, most warm filling, let's just put it that way, <laughs> intro I've ever heard um, for a, a show. And I just love that. That's, how can you not start a show like that, listening <laughs> to that and then feeling good for the rest of the hour? So I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. And you just have me smiling from ear to ear. I cannot wait to get into your story, your reason for writing God stories in the first place. But before we go there, what else can you tell us about yourself? Hmm. Well, um, yeah, so I, I've, I've written God stories. Um, I'm also a published writer with um, The Divinity of Dogs, uh, which Ooh. which was a very, very big <laughs> book it. globally. Uh, it's a bestseller. And my latest book, uh, Rescuing Ladybugs, which is a, where Divinity of Dogs and Rescuing Ladybugs are part memoir. And they're Rescuing Ladybugs in particular is where I um, profile people I've met uh, in my journey in the world who didn't look away from something that was pretty horrific 
to witness when it came to um, a situation with an animal. And in not looking away, I profiled their work and what they did that changed the world for that species and then changed the world actually for the human species. So, and that book has, um, uh, is doing really well with, wow. with a few first place literary awards, which is something I've never expected in my life. So that was kind of cool. Um, that is cool. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, never really thought of myself, um, that way. So I guess, uh, the more you work at it, but, um, I am the director of international programs for, two uh, organizations in Washington. One is Animal Wellness Action. It's a a lobbying organization where we um, work with members of Congress to create laws that benefit and protect animals. Uh, And the other is uh, a a nonprofit called the Center for a Humane Economy, where we work with corporations to change up their policies so that they are uh, best practices for animals. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in, in a home that loved animals. And as you're speaking, I had this little God moment. And it is a, a God story. We were down in Mexico. I lived in San Diego, grew up there. We were down south of the border in San Felipe, Mexico one summer. And we were walking along a very rocky shore that was kind of cliff-like, honestly. And was with my family. My dad detached himself from the group. And before I knew it, he was climbing down the face of a cliff to rescue a dog who had been tied to a rock at the bottom of the cliff intentionally. The goal was to intentionally drown the dog. And of course, we were all extremely upset. I don't even think, honestly, I was mindful at that point of my dad's welfare. I was just so impressed with the fact that he was going to do that that he needed to do that. I knew he needed to do that. We Mm -hmm. all did. And it made a profound impact, of course, on my life. Not that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. feel the way that I do anyway. I'm an animal lover. You know that. I live on a farm. I have a ton of animals. (laughs) And I love to post about them. So that's awesome. Good for you. But Well, you know, it's an interesting start to your life. So you had a father who didn't look away from situations where you know, number one, it was difficult. Number one, possibly putting his children at risk, every, everything. Um, but he followed his own truth. And that is, that's, for me, that's the message. I'm working on my next book right now. And really, that's a lot about what that message is about, because um, we're, we're so conditioned in life to listen to other people's opinions, what's right and what's wrong. And uh, especially when it comes to animals. Um, in the work that I've found. So I, I love that. And not everyone is lucky enough to have a parent like that or, or who had a parent like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry your dad passed. Uh, For you. Tremendous. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, you know, I, and I reflect upon that even now thinking, and I, I believe it was that same trip where it was, he also witnessed someone abusing a child and he intervened as well. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's really quite, quite a lot of learning that took place during that time. But I, yeah, so thank you so much. I want to tell my listeners, our listeners, how I found you because that's a God story too, as I shared with you earlier. So when I first envisioned Color Speak, I felt I was divinely prompted 
to do this podcast. He gave me the name. God gave me the name Color Speak. Didn't question it. And I knew I wanted to empower women through supernatural stories because I feel like if we can be assured of a creator who has our best interests in his heart, we can be assured of our sacred dynamic purpose here on earth. So there can be no excuses for striving to be all we were designed to be or not striving to be all we were designed to be, believing we were meant to contribute to the bigger picture. And once we come to terms with this, our limits are limitless. So anyway, I did this search for God stories when I was really needing a boost. <laughs> I was saying, God, I know there are some stories out there. Uh, bring these people to me. Do you want me to continue? I've got, as I shared with you, Jennifer, a wedding in about 20 days here. My daughter's getting married. There's a lot going on as we wind down and celebrate the holidays do I really need to continue this right now? And boom, <laughs> I see your book pops up. And I begin to read the information. And I'm thinking, this woman is, I need to meet her. This is amazing. And I reached out to you and, well, your publicist, uh, and she got back to me and you agreed to do this interview. So I am so thrilled. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, um, along those lines, uh, as I've as I told you earlier, um, privately, I believe that every person, when you when you ask, you know, when you're asking to live a life um, led uh, by the divine, I believe that every person comes comes to you for a reason. And so you open the door. You just open the door, or in my case, I, I like to say, you open the window and, and see what light they're going to bring into you. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm very excited. <laughs> Yay. Well, I'm excited too. I actually smiled when I read your in intro. I, I even underlined a number of sentences. I thought, you and I are kindred spirits, like so many of my guests here. The way I found myself connected to you in what you said, you said, I've been offered proof of God's existence at regular intervals in my life through experiences so profound, they've given me goosebumps or they've given goosebumps to atheists. These epiphanies have blanketed me with an inner peace, washing away my fears and giving me hope for the future. The intense joy I feel at these times eventually dissipates and I drift into a safe complacency. As time passes and life events take their toll, I start to question again until yet another unexpected collision with the divine awakens me like a plunge into cold water and replenishes my faith." That's why we do this, right? That's why you wrote God stories, because we all drift into that safe complacency at times, and we need reminders. Well, you know, just you reading that, and you know, I haven't read that for a long time. It, uh, it reminds me of how far I've come since, mm. since writing that, because eventually, eventually you get to a place where, you know, you, you can keep yourself in, in a wonderful state of joy um, because you've been offered so much and you can't deny it anymore, you know, but being, right. a, but being a journalist as, uh, as you have been, and I am uh, as well, um, you know, you question everything. It's, it's, it's your job to question everything. Right. It's, it's your job to find the other side of the story. And so um, for a long period of time, especially when you're younger, I mean, how do you find the other side of the story? You know, someone says something, well, I had this experience with God. Well, how do you prove that? Mm -hmm. You know, 
so yes, yes, I have. I've had a, um, I would say a, um, a trial driven life. Um, but at the same time, um, I've also received these moments of proof. And I'm happy to tell you about the, the first one um, that I, I would love to hear it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was um, I was 12 years old. And on my 12th birthday, I was given a 10 speed bike, something that we all, you know, dreamed of having. Yes. And um, my mother was very clear. She said, you know, you can go down this road or you can go down that lane, but you can't go, you know, out on the main road with that. And um, and I was with a friend riding the bike. And of course, we went out to the main road and um, <clears throat> the road you weren't supposed to be the on road that your mother warned you about. My mother told okay. me not to go down. Yeah. Of course. And so um, I was riding down the road and all of a sudden I started uh, experiencing this um, feeling and uh, I can the best way to describe it um, on this radio show is basically um, perpetual, perpetual euphoria. Um, uh, I was, uh, it, it was undescribable under, other than that per, perpetual euphoria. I felt myself, I felt like I was tumbling, but I felt wonderful. Like just like just coming out of a, a day of playing in the ways, a hot sunny day, you know, just that just, wonderful feeling. Anyway, um, all of a sudden, I was looking down from above where I had been riding my bike. And I looked and I saw a VW car. And it had a cracked, a shattered windshield and had what looked like a blonde wig in the windshield. And then I looked down the road and there were cars stopping. You know, traffic was building up. Um, I then all of a sudden I saw basically a close up of my friend who was holding onto her bicycle handles and just frozen where she was. She had a look of shock on her face. I looked back down the road again and I saw people running towards this car and I looked back down at the car again and I could see that people were surrounded uh, on the ground near a body. and. As I look closer, uh, all the while experiencing this perpetual euphoria, I noticed that the body was mine. I realized the body was mine. Wow. And, and boom, I was back in it. But from that moment, um, from that moment on at 12 years old, before Shirley MacLaine was talking about near-death experiences or anybody else, I'd never heard a thing about it, I experience one thing my uh soul my spirit left my shell you know it left my body and at the moment of that impact obviously i only felt a wonderful feeling and i could see and i could actually see so from that from that moment forward i was given the the first lesson which was probably one of the greatest gifts ever given to me i don't fear death because death it's just, uh, in, in, from what I've experienced, leaving the shell. That's all, the spirit leaving the shell. So Jennifer, what you're saying is you have no recollection of impact, of pain, of being hit by that vehicle. You were in a completely different dimension, so to speak, and feeling wonderful. And then you found yourself reunited with your body, and then you 
healed after that. You were obviously taken to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Correct. So all of that is true. You have no recollection of being hit by a vehicle. Correct. That's amazing. Yeah. I, my, I, I know what happened, you know. I saw right. it from above. Oh, I, I don't. Mean, yeah. I don't doubt it, not yeah. for a minute, but here's yeah. the thing. Here's the point I'm thinking. That's mercy. You know, that's the mercy we hear about. We we know that our God is full of mercy. And I often think and I pray for those that are young, like you were at the time, those children that are harmed, those animals that are harmed, people that are suffering. And my prayer is repeatedly, take them, Lord. Just take them before they experience a lot of that suffering. And I'm guessing, though, however, having said that, you did have some suffering associated with your accident. What happened after that? What were your injuries about? Oh, well, I I had had, um, I'd been scalped. um, And then um, my my back, the the skin along my spinal cord was exposed. But, you know, it was just a... A good old scrape up. I was went to the hospital, and you know it took a, a while to heal. But the, the important thing is, right, is that um, I no longer feared death. So that was right. that was in the process of my life. That was the beginning. About ten years later, um, I had another experience, and all of these experiences have experiences have led up to me saying, "Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh," and they've given me these <laughs> lessons that have led to the wisdom of which I now am able to seriously, you know, communicate with my divine every day and be led by that direction and know that to live, um, for me, a purposeful life, which is very important to me. I know my yeah. path. It, I, it's not about what, it's not what I want necessarily as to what I'm being led to do. And, um, but I had to have these experiences. So, you know, it was about 10 years later. Um, I was, I was going to drive my car from Florida to California and I started having this premonition and, um, it was like a dream premonition. And I told my mom about it and my mom said, well, you you need to just shift that, shift it. So have your, have somebody come out and have somebody drive with you. So I flew my girlfriend out from California to drive with me. And I woke up when the, after she had spent the night, my mom said, has it changed? Is the premonition gone? I said, no, as a matter of fact, I can, I can tell you where it's going to happen. It's going to happen between San Antonio and El Paso, Texas. And, um, and it's going to be an accident. And uh, so we moved forward. I, I called my mom from San Antonio as planned. I said, we were fine. We had eaten. And uh, it was my friend Didi's turn to drive the car. And, um, I fell asleep in the front seat, uh, next to her. And I was, I was woken when I heard the squealing of the tires. And then I felt us rolling, you know, I felt the car flipping and, um, all of a sudden it landed with a thud. And, um, this man, we got out and Didi had fallen asleep, uh, at the wheel and, uh, just outside of San Antonio toward El Paso. And this man came running down the highway part. He had stopped his car behind us in the middle of the highway. And he just looked at us and, and we said, what, what happened? And he said, your car started 
swerving back and forth. And then it went up that embankment and it flipped three times in midair. He said, and then it was as if the hand of God came down and and gently grabbed it and dropped it back to the ground. There was not one scratch on that car. And so incredible. Yeah. So this was my second big lesson, which was follow your instincts, their guidance. I'm telling you, you know, I'm warning you something. So that's that's part of that that live your life based on on the truth about what you're feeling. Your instincts are real. They're they're guidance. So follow that. You know, so I had that. And then um of course a, a decade later, you know, I've I've written about it, but then I had something extremely profound happen. Well, they're all extremely profound, but then they are. something that was yeah. really important. Yeah. Well, before we go there, I just am reminded of one of the stories that you talk about written by Kathy Shields in your book. Mm-hmm. She was feeling she was getting some weird messages about having her son asked to have a friend over. Right. And she found herself responding in ways that were uncharacteristic of her and something was up. And then later on, when she went to take the child home, she turned onto a main road and she says the same voice that had been talking to me all day yelled at me, slow down now. And I immediately took my foot off the accelerator and looked up. Two cars were drag racing using both lanes and were heading straight for us. I knew if I turned left, the four of us would die instantly. If I turned right, we might have a chance. So I swerved right and I don't know how, but we landed between a telephone pole and a road sign and narrowly escaped a collision with the racing cars. Mm-hmm. And I also am reminded of a story my husband told me. He said he was in college and he was on a winding road at night and a couple of headlights were headed straight for him. There was another car also in the passing lane and it looked as though the vehicle was coming right for him and there was nothing he could do. He couldn't he couldn't move over. And he said, he swears it looked like the car went straight through him, like the headlights yeah. came at him and exited back behind him as if the vehicle passed through him and his car. And then he looked in his rear view mirror and saw the taillights. Yeah. And he, and he thought it was the craziest thing. Yeah. Kath, Kathy will tell you to this day, she's a great friend of mine and she'll tell you to this day, don't know how we made it to the other side of the road without, without a collision. They were both coming. She said, no matter what I was going to do, it was like impossible to avoid. Um, so, but that is, um, you know, I've got a lot of stories like that in God's story. I do too. You know, yeah. it was interesting in um in in writing God's stories and that um it well it was an interesting story about how it came about. But then I was like, but 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 how am I gonna figure out the chapters for this? I I okay, I get it that you're directing me to write a book called God's Stories, but how how are the chapters gonna come? I, I don't under I don't understand. And you know, the message was just have faith, have faith, right? And I did this um interview uh with USA Today a newspaper uh about what I was collecting. And you know, they came. The stories were just I, I received, you know, hundreds of stories and they they fit into these into these chapters. Like what we're saying is like these miraculous moments or where someone heard a voice um that that saved their life you know that made them stop that made them react to something that would have 
killed them if they had if they had progressed where they were, or they um, actually had a vision, you know, I mean, that was, that was real and proved something to them. Uh, they, these things were happening. Uh, they amazed me when the stories came in, but even more amazing were, were the fact that these are modern day miracles and they do happen. Yeah, they sure do. Well, and I'm reminded of another story you shared about the woman who was jogging in the Australian bush and heard stop and looked down and there was a snake. (laughs) And I have a friend who wrote with her husband a book about his experience in Vietnam. And it's all about his God stories in Vietnam. It's called Nine Pairs of Boots in Vietnam. And he has so many stories that in the worst of it, I mean, hell on earth, he's in the middle of this war, crawling into caves, crawling through the jungle, all of this, and he hears so many different times, do this or go that way, and it proves correct every time. And one of them was, he is point man, which means he is leading a group of his troops through the jungle in Vietnam, and they can see nothing. It is black. And he hears a voice say, stop now and camp now. And he tells his guys, listen, we're going to stop now. We're not going any further. Put your stuff down. We'll sleep here overnight. In the morning, they wake up and right in front of them as a booby trap with Mm, spears. mm, You know, we just mm -hmm, need to be mindful mm -hmm, and aware. mm -hmm. Well, and I was also thinking about your premonition. So briefly, I had a premonition too that turned out to be really interesting. So I have a history of plane crashes in my life. My dad was killed in a commercial plane crash. A commercial plane crash landed in my neighborhood, PSA flight 182 in San Diego, That took a plunge into my neighborhood in 1978. And then I ended up flying, doing airborne traffic, spotting traffic as a news reporter in San Diego. And I had a number of emergency landings myself. And I kept having these weird premonitions. And I had dreams at night of planes falling out of the sky on me. And of course, those dreams were enhanced by my father's own crash in a commercial air flight disaster in Canada. And I had an experience where after an emergency landing, I had a profound conversation with my pilot, during which time we talked about dying and death and all of that through flight. And two weeks later, he and a coworker were killed when their plane went down off I-5 in Solana Beach in San Diego. And the thing about my dad's flight was the morning that I was, the morning that happened, I was flying myself. And I had turned to my ex-husband and I said, May 3rd is a date we're always going to remember. We will always remember May 3rd. I'm sorry to say this, but there will be a plane crash today. Now, I'm telling him this as I'm getting on the flight. So Mm, it mm. seems like I'm, I'm really macabre. And yet I couldn't help it. I felt so strongly about it. And during the course of that flight, I fretted and worried the length of it. I kept thinking, we're going to go down. Oh, no, what's going to happen? It was unreasonable that I was having these feelings And even after we landed, I did not feel safe until I was out of the terminal, thinking a careening plane could crash into the walkway or what have you. And it wasn't until I got home and walked in the front door to my mother's house, the phone was ringing and it was revealed my father had just been killed in a plane crash. So what to do with this? Like, why did I have these crazy feelings about May 3rd? Fast forward a number of years later and a number of signs the Lord gave me, our God gave me, I, I'm at a gas pump one day and I'll never forget it. It is May and it's 30 years past that crash to almost to the day. 
And as I'm pumping gas, I hear a voice say, do you know what today is? And I said, yeah, it's May 2nd. Yeah, it's May 2nd. So that means what's tomorrow? And I said, huh, well, it's May 3rd. Right, it's May 3rd. And that's when it hit me. My daughter was about to give birth and she wasn't due until the end of May. And something just told me that I would have a grandchild born. My my first granddaughter was born on May 3rd. And mm. it even chokes me up talking about it now because, you know, they say the source of your greatest pain is your is your platform. And here, 30 years ago to the day, <laughs> I lost my father and I on May 3rd and I I really was resolved never to be morose about it or to remember it in a terrible way. I really, when he passed away and we held his memorial service, we held it at the La Jolla Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego. We had pink champagne as the sun was setting and it was a toast to his life. It was a celebration. So by all means, I was not one that was prone to observing anything morbidly. But of course, I was mindful of May the 3rd, right? The fact that my granddaughter was born on May 3rd, and I knew it the day before, Kelsey went into labor earlier than we expected. And I walked into the hospital that morning and my mom looked at me and she said, you know what today is, right? And I said, of course I do. <laughs> it's May 3rd. And Abigail, my first granddaughter, was born that day. So that's a premonition that worked out pretty well, I think, mm. despite the pain. <laughs> it's a lovely story, actually. Oh, well, yeah. and he's given me some lovely tidbits. But before we go there, tell me some more about... Well, do we want to get into that third story you were going to tell me? I also wanted to ask you, if you can, is there a favorite story in your book you'd like to share? I'm putting you, you know, on the spot. Yeah, y yes. Um, well, you know, um, I, I'm just, I'm trying to, there, I, I, I love all the contributors, you know, and, um, but I, um, I, it's a it that's it's a difficult question. I've mm -hmm. I've the the first story in the book. Um, you know, you're always you, you're always told uh, um, to you know when you're writing a movie, when you're writing a book, you know, throw it out there first so people are you know are uh, jump in. But um, it, it it's about a gal named uh, Marion Brown who um, lived in San Diego uh, when. Um, the uh one of the largest fires at the time you know swept through and um I remember uh, she, that. you know and she evacuated um and uh and lost her home and um they they the she was um going sifting through everything uh with her kids and uh um and really didn't know um what what to do you know one of the kids was um crying you know he couldn't find anything and um and and she started to pray and she said you know god please please help me you know what do i what do i say to these children who've lost everything the only home they've ever known and um uh the the little boy uh, screams out and he says, "Oh, ma, there's a book over here. There's, there's, there's. I found a book, and it was all the book was all singed and and uh, 
as he lifted it, it was disintegrating in his hands. And, uh, and, and Marion said, I'm so sorry, honey, that there's nothing left but ashes. And he said, no, no, wait, look. And, uh, and it, he extended a, a coin size, um, a, you know, a half dollar size piece of, uh, of ash from the book. And all, it, it had a little picture of a family holding hands and it said three words on it. Count your blessings. Hmm. And um, to me, that's a wonderful way um, to start the book, because in reality, the big truth of the world is that, um, you know, I've, I've, I travel the world constantly and, um, and and have been many to many countries that are, are the people are so are less fortunate than us in that they don't have, you know, clean water. They don't have enough food. Um, and, uh, I think for all of us who are, are privileged enough to live in the United States in particular, um, and, and other in European countries, Australia, where I live part of the year, um, we're so fortunate. And I think that's the, 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 when you wake up every single morning, I wish everyone, I wish everyone could truly know how fortunate, uh, they are because, mm nothing nothing could go wrong terribly in a day um if you know really how lucky you are mm, that's a great perspective yeah absolutely it's almost like you know that sort of perspective grows more of the same exponentially as you begin to be aware then you can focus on those blessings that allow others to grow i love it true yeah, true. I, I think, I mean, I think, um, you know, this, uh, this podcast, it, you know, is, is, is about empowering women. And I think that you, you will find also, you know, there's a big difference between us as women when we're 25, um, and, and we're focused on, uh, careers and relationships and trying to figure out, uh, how people work and how they think, um, as to compare to the wisdom of women over 40, uh, where they, they, they're getting it, you know, they're getting it. They, they have wisdom, they've had experience and they do understand this. I, you know, we're preaching to the converted, but, um, to many people who understand that their life is a gift and they, they've had a great life, even though that they've had trials. And then one of the things that I'm, working on um, with my next book, which I'm not releasing the title just yet, but is really, we must, when you're young, you can't understand why you have trials. You cannot understand uh, uh, why um, your father was taken in a plane crash. You just, you just can't, you know? Um, and then you, you identify, you start to identify if you can. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to teach this in this next book. Um, trials as gifts. Um, and you will see how your trials help other people um, as to how you react to them and, and how you grow from them and what you take from them. It's, it's a pretty deep thought process, but um, uh, for people who are enlightened, if you will, and when I say in, spiritually enlightened um, and, and, know how to connect and do connect and, and are led to fulfill their purpose here in, in what they believe is their purpose and what they've been led to believe is their purpose, then they're actually 
helping others the whole time while they do that. I agree. I think that's so important. It's an important part of the process, not only sharing to help others, it also alleviates some of the burden on us, right? Because we are connecting in in very in a human way with another person to help them means that we help ourselves. Because there's no greater joy than to help someone else. And when it is at our own expense, I feel like that alleviates some of the expense, if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I, I understand. I'm completely tracking with you. I agree 100%. And, you know, I just feel like, as I shared with you earlier, the diversity we see in the world that's so lovely is exemplified in our own unique experiences. And when we share those experiences with others that may have, as you're speaking about, have experienced the same or not, we come together collectively and we become, if it makes sense, one because we understand different facets of what of what life is all about, but it's all rooted, all of those different facets, all of those different experiences are rooted in one truth, and that is love. <laughs> and and it's just it's it's a fascinating process if we can get there. And I think, you know, the we cut ourselves off from that so often um, in our woundedness. And yet, if we could only just venture out, there's healing, you know, like even just in sharing my dad's story, that there was a lot to that that was so very troubling at the time. And yet now I can stand here or sit here as the case may be confident that he is in a better place. And I am better for that understanding. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, um, and you know, I wasn't necessarily going to talk about this, but it, it's interesting. Uh, m- many, many years ago, um, you know, when I was younger, um, my I had a stepfather who was extremely abusive, and um, and uh, basically, uh, I lived in fear when I was around him. I, I lived mm-hmm. in absolute. I was terrorized and lived in fear of him. I'm so sorry. Um, well, thank you. I and and it was it was a very very tough time. So interestingly enough, when I was writing the Divinity of Dogs, every chapter started with a different dog in my life uh, <laughs> and led into other people's stories and, and about what I learned from that dog. And there was one dog, Sally, my golden retriever, um, dur- and she, she was my dog during this period of time, who was who was there for me, you know, uh, during during this super tough time. And I decided to write the story. Um, and I had a, um, a, a member, a, a, a close member of a family who wasn't, you know, one of my siblings, um, read this story who, who didn't know this story. And she looked at it and it was in the pre-publishing phase. And she said, are you, are you sure you want to share that with people publicly? And, you know, for me, it was like, um, number one, she was worried about the judgment that that would bring upon me. But maybe she was also worried about how people would think about me as her relative. This is my sister-in-law who I love dearly. And um, and I thought I said to her, I, I, I'm supposed to be sharing this. And it's a tough one. You know, it's a tough one, but I'm supposed to be sharing it. So. Um, it took me a long time that that one story, the book 
probably told, took me six months to write that one story took me a month to write. You know, it was just, it was, I, I, I cried and I cried and I cried while I was writing it. So why am, why is this coming out? Right. I go to a book signing. Uh, I think it was probably uh, maybe eight weeks or something after the books come out. And I walk into this room at this bookstore and everyone just stops. Everything goes quiet, sit down and I start to smile and I start to talk and, and people just start to cry. Um, and next thing I know they're um, passing tissues, like the, you know, the people who work at the shop are passing tissues back and forth. And pretty soon there's like this, just this vibe of, 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 of sadness and i i realized it was because all of these people had connected with that story and people who love there are many people in the world who love animals more than they love people and that to me was that moment um and i had some other moments running a, a, a very large animal shelter in australia but where this became the fact that they trusted animals more than people because they had been hurt. They had been abused. Something horrible had happened to them at the hands of people. So it became clear to me on that day that there was a purpose because these people, you know, for that horrible trial in my life, because I, I, I couldn't imagine why I would have had to have gone through that. And yet I now understood how other people felt when they lived in fear, fear of abuse, fear of all of that, alcoholism, every everything. But more importantly, I um uh I was given the privilege of helping others through their trauma. They came to me, you know, that's when it started that was just the beginning. So after the divinity of dogs was out for a while, people came to me. I I, I got emails every day, I got messages every day saying the fact that you wrote about that and you brought that out in the open and then you shared that you've really, it released me. I can, I can go on. If you could have handled that now, I know I can handle life. So you never know, you know, not never, but you don't know when your trials are happening, um, what purpose they will serve, not only in helping others, but in your own enlightenment. Well, what I love about what you did is you went beyond your inhibitions <laughs> and you were, you were willing to be transparent. And that's what is required in order to help people. Because in a world that seems so lacking in authenticity and filled with deception, people are looking for that truth. They're looking for someone to be real with them. And you took a chance. And I'm reminded of the time that I wrote in my, in my book, I wrote about being in love with a goat. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to sound. My kids are giving me all sorts of grief over it. You know, I couldn't admit it for a while. Oh, gosh, mom, write about anything, but don't write about goats. It's so, it's so unattractive. You know, it's not aesthetic or whatever. And what had happened was we had a German shepherd that killed her. Uh, and and it was really a rough time, you know. It's I love both of these animals. One has taken the life of the other. But my goat Carmela was pregnant at the time, and I went out to the barn and I just asked everyone to stay away from me. And I literally cried out loud, 
like I moaned out loud over the loss of this goat. And I said, I almost chastised myself, like, what is wrong with me? I'm so in love with this goat. And she's gone, right? I wasn't here to protect her. Still love my dog, of course. But in writing about that, there was a little reluctance on my part, of course. But I just needed to be real because, you know, the human heart can love a goat too. (laughs) And I'm sure I'll be reunited with her one day. I think, though, in my point in sharing is we just have to be willing to share what we have to share from our hearts. And kudos to you, because look, it helps so many people. And that's awesome. Yeah, I have to get a hold of those books of yours, the other ones, and read them. (laughs) Yes, but you know, one thing we also learn along the way is when you judge others, and and then sometimes you're offered the position uh, uh, that others are (laughs) in, and you go, oh, sorry, shouldn't have judged. And, and more, right, but, but you good points. Yes, but but that's part of life's lesson. <laughs> but you know, even beyond that, I mean, love is love, and to love your dogs, and yeah. uh, to love a little piglet, to love uh, those of us who are in the animal welfare uh, world, just trying to make the world better for animals. We're animals too. We are actually animals too. And so, to love is to love is to love. Love begets love, and. Um, I thank you for sharing that story. Oh, well, thanks. I'm glad that I was able to feel like I'm in good company. <laughs> I um, There was another thing that you talked about in your book. One of the stories is a beautiful sign. And by the way, I love that your book isn't so much chapters with stories embedded in those chapters. Each story is a chapter. So it reads like a series of vignettes, which is perfect to keep this by your bedside or in your backpack or whatever you're doing in your in your vehicle, and just be able to pull it out and to read one little story at a time because they're each one of them very short. And that's a great way to look at it, a great way to to digest all of it in short little snippets. We're all so busy these days. Anyway, one of them says, it's a beautiful sign. It's by Michelle Biaghi. And she's Mm -hmm. talking about the day of her father's funeral was nasty and gloomy. And on the way to the service, she saw a rainbow and she knew it was a sign that her dad was okay and that he was with God. And she said she wasn't the only one to receive it. The family and even the priest mentioned it. And everyone was talking about the rainbows, both in her state and in her area and elsewhere that day, which leads me to my own rainbow stories. I'm sort of this, um, I'm sort of rainbow obsessed, to be honest, because of my first rainbow, or at least the first one that I really took notice of. And it was, I was putting my daughter on a flight out of Kansas City back home to Can- uh, to San Diego. And she was 14 at the time. And she was a little bit nervous. And like I said, we really hadn't belabored the issue of her grandfather's death, but she knew. And she knew the history, I think maybe a little bit about my plane crashes and she was nervous. And yet I want to clarify, I wouldn't have been any good as a mom at all if I had reaffirmed that fear in her. So that really wasn't what was going on. But she was scared. And long story short, I as she as I click off on the phone with her and I start praying, God, just give me some assurance that I will never have to go through this again, this whole plane crash thing. Because as I told my daughter, statistically speaking, this isn't going to happen again, at least in my world. So everyone I know should be fairly safe on 
flying by air. My husband is, um, he's gone all of the time. He travels and, we, and we've traveled extensively as well. And, and I always actually now look forward to boarding a flight because it's the one place I can relax and totally give over all control and get a little peace, frankly. Uh-huh. And so anyway, she's on this flight, I'm praying, and all of a sudden, a full rainbow appears over her plane. Now, Jennifer, it was a full rainbow only over her plane and nowhere else, not a cloud in the sky. There wasn't any storming going on. It was crazy. And I looked at the flight attendant next to me and I said, well, you look at that. She goes, that's unbelievable. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be so bold as to say that rainbow's for me. <laughs> she looked at me like, how so? And I, I said, my dad was killed on a commercial flight and my daughter's on that one. And I think that's for me. And uh-huh. she said, I have goosebumps. And you know, from that moment on, I have received rainbows in the craziest places and just when I need them. And I think really all of that is what precipitated the whole idea of color and color speak. And I think the reason the rainbow resonates so much in each of us when we see it is it's testimony of this love and promise and assurance of protection. So I love rainbow stories. And well, I, I it, loved what you wrote about it. Well, you're not alone, you know. Yeah, um, for I sure. Think when I when I when that story came out, people started telling me all of their stories, and someone told me that you know rainbows were even in the in the Bible written um, as as signs. Yeah. So I thought, um, wow, okay, didn't know it. Great. So yeah, we all it, rainbows are pretty magnificent. Actually. They are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So tell me, Jennifer, what was uh, what was that third story you were going to share with us that was so profound? Well, I, I was. Um, uh, thanks for asking. I, I I think it's a it was a it's a great story because it was a story about um, showing me that I was on the planet for a reason. Um, I was thirty two. And uh, I was working for CNN and I was doing, I, I was thriving professionally, you know, I was winning awards, traveling the world, enjoying it. But I had, uh, I was, I, I felt very, uh, I had made a very bad choice, in my opinion, um, to get married. I didn't want to, I felt very pushed into it for reasons I won't talk about. Um, and here I was a couple months into it and um I was so depressed that I was actually thinking about um, uh, going into my garage uh, and turning on the car and and staying in there. And um, I was thinking about that a lot. It was like a a constant, it it was becoming a constant thought process. And right around this time, I started experiencing uh, a debilitating pain in my right leg. Went to a couple of doctors, they couldn't, you know, tennis knee, whatever, they couldn't tell me what it was. Um, and then was sent down to the chief of orthopedics um, at Mass General Hospital, who was the head of Harvard's um, medical uh, program uh, in orthopedics. And he said, uh, You've got a you've got a tumor and it's in your it's in your bone marrow. And um, we've got to operate on it. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep your leg, but um, here we go. So uh, I was operated on. And when I woke up, 
I had um, Henry Mencken, his name was uh, the, the doctor. And then I had about 10 medical students. It was like a television program standing around me mm-hmm. um, with their notes. And he said, look, um, we've got we've kept your leg, but it looks like it's going to be temporary. Um, the slide uh, we looked at um, shows that the tumor is malignant. Um, we, we, you know, we've scraped it out, but, um, you know, that is bone cancer. So I actually felt relief. I actually at that moment felt relief knowing that I wouldn't have to live anymore. You know, there had just been, there've been too many trials leading up to that. And I was, I was tired of it. I was tired of having made a decision that, that was a wrong decision. And, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So but what happened next was very interesting. Um, I hadn't told many people that I was entering the hospital because it, it was one of those times where if, if people found out you had cancer, you might lose your job. You didn't want to lose your job, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or if it was something serious. Um, so I, I sat there and all of a sudden, out of like nowhere, I was barraged with letters, notes, calls, um, gifts. Food, food was arriving from restaurants all over Boston. It was just wild. Um, but I was, I, I, I can explain it. I was engulfed by a, a warm blanket of love. And people were all saying the same thing. They were saying, don't leave. Don't leave. You're important to me. When you did this, you changed my life. Or I can't live without, you know, members of my family who, you know, I, I you know, you you know, they're your brothers, <laughs> you know, they're your brothers. They don't really say much, you know, we're, we're, we're saying how they can't, couldn't live without me for this reason or that reason. People were being very definite as to what the importance of my life in their lives. And you had purpose. Right. I, w- I wish being shown that I had purpose and yes. it was based on love. And on the, um, I think it was the fourth or fifth day, I had been tested to see if there was cancer anywhere else in my body. There wasn't. But I was going to begin, um, of course, you do what you're told. Uh, um, I was going to have a shunt placed in, directly into my heart. Uh, and I was told that for chemo, that could be there for a year, for a year treatment. And um, so we were waiting for that to start when I was, I, I just woken up. I was sitting in my bed. My doctor, uh, an older man um, with a big bushy mustache, came running into my room. So he was running so fast down the hall that he slid past my room when he tried to stop, which I thought was hysterical. And then he came running into my room and he looked at me and he threw his hands up in the air and he said, benign. And I said, what what do you mean? He said, "It's, it's benign. The, the DNA, you know, the, the results have just come back from the lab. It, it's, it's benign. And they said, I don't understand. I, I don't understand what you mean. Um, and he said, well, you know, on the day it was just over one side. And right now it's just over on the other side. It's for, you know, being malignant or, you know, to describe it in layman's terms. Yeah. Um, and he came up to me and, and, you know, he put his, you know, hand on my hand. And he looked very closely right into my face. And I said, what am I supposed to do now? And he, said, and he smiled and he said, young lady, 
go out and live your life. Oh, sounds like a movie. Well, and it you needs know, to be a movie. Yeah. And you know, what happened after that is, you know, my whole goal in life, I wanted to be a television reporter. <laughs> I want to be a TV I understand woman, that. right? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted that. And I said a prayer after that. And I said, you know what? I'm giving it up. You use me for the purpose of my existence. And I will follow. I will follow your lead. And from that moment on, my life, my life changed from that moment on. And it's still going and it's still fun and it's still great. And, uh, and every day is a gift. And every day there are windows presented to me that, that enlighten me and show me why I'm here. So there you go. (laughs) Well, that chokes me up because I have responded in a similar fashion and, you know, he equipped you for that. He equipped you with the experience and the ability you have in order to do exactly what you're doing and you're fulfilling your purpose. And I am so impressed, so honored to know you, Jennifer. That is a marvelous story. Um, so excited about your work that you're continuing to do. Just been so good to hear your stories, to read those that you've related about others and excited for your next book. Thank you, Janet. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope um, those listening um, can can go ahead and get God stories or divinity of dogs or rescuing ladybugs, whatever, whatever sings to them and and that they they lift them. Yeah, well, I know that they will. Tell me before I let you go, what are you doing now? Are you doing any reporting? Or are you strictly an author? Oh, definitely not strictly an author. Uh, no, so I'm a I'm a diplomat for animals. That's mainly what right. I do. I'm sorry, of course. No, yes. no, that's okay. But that's what I do, and I I don't just uh, work for these organizations in Washington. I have organizations all over the world that call me. I even have different cities in the world that that call me um, asking for help to change programs in, especially in third world countries where there's so much animal abuse. Um, uh, so I I strategize. I create. Strategies. I work with a wonderful team in Washington, um, and, and we're, you know, we create laws, uh, we create change, and that is that's first and foremost in my life right now. Um, but I've uh, I've told the team, um, my agent has been expecting this book. Um, it's I'm being driven to write it this next one, and so <laughs> the team right now has said. Okay, I'm on, but I'm only on for like an hour. I'll come to meetings, but don't ask me to, you know, do something like huge right now. I have to focus on writing. So I'm, that's exactly what I'm doing. My, my dog, uh, Sunny sits next to me and, uh, we are having, um, uh, a wonderful experience as we put together this next book. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. I have four dogs, as I shared with you, and one of them that can, they're all big dogs, except one, the Puggle, which actually belongs to my 18-year-old daughter. She is always on my lap and on top of my laptop. (laughs) I wish I could post a picture on the platform and have you share yours. Unfortunately, the platform I use doesn't allow me to associate that with the podcast, but I will will absolutely get those uh, up on social media if you want to send me a picture of you and your dog. And I just, again, want to thank you for this interview. You were very gracious in extending your time to us today and look forward to hearing more from you for sure. 
My pleasure, Janet. And thanks, thanks to all of your listeners. Thank you. And I want to leave you all with one of the quotes from Jennifer's book, which oh, just hit me so hard. She says in her introduction, I had been given signs before, but the experience was all the proof I needed. I had been given signs, but this was obvious. There was a God for me. Love that. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to us on Color Speak. And I hope that you'll continue to join us wherever you find your podcasts. And now on Grace and Truth Radio World. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Thank you.